Love Talk Radio. called the worst terrorist attack in Europe in years, and it has shocked France to the core. Avant toute chose, 12 victimes de la fusillade de Charlie Hebdo. Frédéric Boisseau, agent de maintenance. Franck Brinzolaro, policier. Elsa Kayat, psychanalyste. Stéphane Charbonnier, dit Charb, dessinateur et journaliste. Jean Cabuche, dessinateur et journaliste. Philippe Honoré, dessinateur et journaliste. Bernard Maris, économiste et journaliste. Ahmed Merabet, policier. Mustapha Ourad, journaliste correcteur. Michel Renaud, ancien directeur de cabinet du maire de Clermont. Tinius, dessinateur et journaliste. Georges Wolinski, dessinateur et journaliste. Défendre nos valeurs face à l'inadmissible. Démolir des idées, préserver l'unité, dresser tous ensemble, ne pas amalgamer. Voilà le vrai défi, l'enjeu républicain. Refuser la réponse du venin au venin. C'est à l'unisson que nous y parviendrons, avec votre mémoire et vos coups de crayon. On a le ciel et les nuages sur la tête. On se plaît aux livres des vieux sages. On lit Virgile et Dante. On va joyeusement en voiture publique à quelque endroit charmant. En riant aux éclats de l'auberge et du gîte. Le regard d'une femme en partant vous agite. On aime, on est aimé. Bonheur qui manque au roi. On écoute le chant des oiseaux dans les bois. Le matin, on s'éveille et toute une famille vous embrasse, une mère, une sœur, une fille. On déjeune en lisant son journal. Tout le jour, on mêle à sa pensée espoir, travail, amour. La vie arrive avec ses passions troublées. On jette sa parole aux sombres assemblées. Devant le but qu'on veut et le sort qui vous prend, on se sent faible et fort, on est petit, on est grand, on est flot dans la foule, âme dans la tempête. Tout vient et passe, on est en deuil, on est en fête. 
On arrive, on recule, on lutte avec effort, puis le vaste et le profond silence de la mort. Je vous appelle aussi à l'unité, car je l'avais exprimé devant les Français. C'est notre meilleure arme. Enfin, nous devons nous mobiliser. Une panne profonde. C'est toute mon enfance. J'ai commencé avec Harakiri et j'ai fini par Charlie Hebdo. C'est effroyable et on a tué la liberté. Et je souhaite que l'on retrouve cette démocratie, cette liberté d'expression, de penser que ça perdure. Voilà, je suis un peu On oublie même que ça doit être un combat, la presse à la liberté d'opinion. C'est tellement sacralisé chez nous qu'on oublie que c'est une lutte qu'il faut toujours remettre en cause, toujours, euh, toujours se battre pour, c'est pas un acquis. Je suis émue, je suis, je suis révoltée par ce qui s'est passé. Et voilà. Je ne sais même pas quoi dire. C'est la liberté, vous n'aurez pas la façon de pas dire. Ce qui s'est passé hier, c'est inadmissible, c'est très honteux. Il n'y a rien à dire, c'est juste immonde. Et je pense que c'est bien de tout ce que les gens font pour venir se rassembler, pour rendre hommage aux victimes et aux familles des victimes. Ouais, c'est superbe, c'est très beau. Je pensais pas, je toujours dis que la France était un pays où il y avait des gens un petit peu cons, et en fait là, franchement, ils m'ont... On tous fermé le clapet, franchement, je pensais pas que tout le monde réagirait comme ça, tout le monde sortirait. Je pense pas qu'il y ait beaucoup de pays qui auraient fait ça, ou, autre, ou aussi beau. C'est pareil dans toutes les villes de France, et voilà, c'est magnifique. C'est émouvant, et on n'a pas forcément de mots, mais la pensée est là, et, et elle est forte, je pense, vu le monde qui a aussi une belle mobilisation. On sent beaucoup euh, euh, cet élan de solidarité et, euh, autour de ce drame, donc euh, on pense aux familles et on pense euh, à toute la les communautés, donc on doit, on doit tous se serrer les coups, on doit tous être ensemble pour lutter contre ça, pour la liberté, la liberté d'expression, écrire, parler, dire ce qu'on a à dire sans censure. Listening to Revolution with host Heisey Lutmers on Firefly Willows Live. Welcome everyone to Revolution and good morning. Thank you for listening. It's nice to have you here enjoying and joining in our show and our conversation. First show of the new year for Revolution anyway. And as per usual, we're going to start off our show with our roundtable discussion. And I am joined by my co-hosts, Mildred Lynn McDonald. Hello. John Caracella. Good morning. And Deb Caracella. Good morning. And for our roundtable discussion, I'm actually going to challenge my co-hosts, and I would like to challenge everyone listening, 
to do this in a slightly new and different way since it's a new year and the topic is going to be on becoming new and this is a topic and some questions that I saw in a newsletter from the Tarot School in New York and they were quite thought-provoking for me and I thought perfect fodder for jumping off into the new year with some questions for each of us to think about. So the new process to try that I'm going to ask my co-host and all of you listening to also perhaps try to do is we're going to, uh, I'm going to ask the question, just close your eyes, say whatever it is that comes to you in that moment when you close your eyes in response to that question. Uh, if you're listening um, to the show, I would encourage you to do this and perhaps have either your computer or a journal or something ready so that you could perhaps make note of what it is that comes up for you for the question as well, because it's always interesting to look back on it and then perhaps ask the question again at a later time and see what comes up. So having said that, what I'm going to do is just ask the question, ask the co-host to close their eyes. I'll call out a name. They will simply give their immediate response as to what's coming to them intuitively rather than thinking about it so it's not coming from their head versus coming from someplace in their subconscious or elsewhere beyond, um, and we will see what comes up. So the first question, and the topic here is becoming new, and the first question, what is new? So for that word, when you hear that word, what is new? Mildred Lynn McDonald. Well, hi, C. Latimer. To me, new is an ah moment. And I go, ah. John Caracella. New growth, like um, the emergence of leaves on a tree. Deb Caracella. New is fresh, never before experienced. What does new mean? John Caracella. Uh, openness and uh, openness and an embracingness. What does new mean, Deb Carasella? Unknown. What does new mean, Mildred Lynn McDonald? The essence is intact, a hundred percent, like fresh as a daisy or crisp. What is newness? What is newness, Deb Caracella? Completeness, uh, a totality of, of brand new, unexplored. What is newness, Mildred and McDonald? The opposite of oldness. What is newness, John Caracella? Newness is sheets hanging on the line in the breeze. And what's the newness about that is the is the contact between the air molecules, the breeze, and the sheets that has never happened before. How does new happen? How does new happen, Mildred and McDonald? I go back to an ah moment. So it could be a jolt, or maybe it's a gradual evolution. And when you talk to me, First, when you first mentioned that, it's a shift in energy or an expansion in consciousness. Thanks. How does new happen, John Carousel? 
uh, new happens when, in the moment of communion, when something that has never interacted with something else before interacts with something. How does new happen, Deb Kenneth Well, it's automatic and, and continuous. It's moment by moment by moment because each moment is new from the moment you just experienced. And where does new come from? Where does new come from, John Carousella? New comes from... It's hard to put into words. Uh, the, the short answer is the void. Um, the more articulate answer is new comes from the emergence of emergence from the void. Where does new come from, Deb Carousella? New comes from within and without. New is everywhere. Where does new come from, Mildred Lynn McDonald? What I got is if new is true, then it comes from universal truth. So that finishes our question. And I would encourage everyone listening to just let what it is that comes up sit with you over a period of time and then come back to revisit the questions, see what comes up at a different time. And this is a way to perhaps start a new year, perhaps to start a new month, to start a new moon cycle by asking questions of what is new and we may be surprised as to what we see or what comes up for us that is new or ready to be new in that moment or in our lives. Thank you very much to our co-hosts for joining in this new way of trying our round <laughs> table. Uh, thank you to Mildred Lynn McDonald. You're welcome. To John Carousella. Always a pleasure. And to Deb Carousella. You're welcome. And I would encourage you to stay tuned if you would like to call in to receive a reading later in the show. You're welcome to do that. You can Skype in from the show page or call 646-716-5510 to get into the queue. And we'll be right back.
You're listening to Revolution with host Heisey Lutmers on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Find out more at facebook.com slash revolution with Heisey. writer, teacher, and wisdom seeker, Eric Dupree. Eric Dupree is a Zen Buddhist in the Soto lineage. He weaves traditional Buddhist precepts with rich goddess-based practices that are decidedly pagan. Eric is the co-founder of the Dharma Pagan Movement with Yeshe Rabbit Matthews. He teaches meditation and mantra nationally, studies tantra with Dr. Douglas Brooks, and maintains a rigorous sitting practice with his Sangha. Eric writes extensively, and his published titles include Alone in Her Presence, Meditations on the Goddess, Weaving Moonlight, Lunar Mysteries, and Moving Towards Stillness, Zen Meditation and Daily Practice. His newest book is the forthcoming anthology, Finding the Masculine in Goddess's Spiral. You can find out more about Eric and his work at www.ericdupree.com, which is E-R-I-C-K-D-U-P-R-E-E.com. So please join me in welcoming this month's revolutionary guest, writer, teacher, and wisdom seeker, Eric Dupree. Welcome, Eric Dupree, to the show today. Hello, how are you? I am good. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Excellent. Are you enjoying your winter? Um, perhaps. <laughs> perhaps. It's a little bit colder on the East Coast than, than I, I think I would enjoy, but it's it's good. Oh. Yeah, it's been cold here, too. I don't think we've even hit 70 in the last week. Oh, I'm sorry. It's like 20 here. Oh, well, (laughs) I guess we all make our choices about where we live, don't we? (laughs) This is very true. Um, You know, before before we start, I I just want to thank you for, for having me again. Oh, no, it is my pleasure. I'm happy to have you here. And... Uh, today, and we're going to be kind of focused on what we talk about today, but I thought it was a really good topic since it's the beginning of a new calendar year. 
And many people make resolutions. Many people are thinking about what they want to start, what they want to accomplish, what they want to do in the upcoming year. And so I thought talking about something that you are a, uh, an expert on, um, which is daily practice, would be something that would be most beneficial and useful because oftentimes, well, a daily practice of some sort is often very much what people are saying they're wanting to start as a resolution. And whether it's a, a new daily practice of exercise, a new daily practice of meditation, a new daily practice of diet, uh, or whatever it is. And I think that that's a, a good kind of first jumping off point. When when you talk about daily practice and use that term, I think a lot of people that they hear it, they think, well, I'm not a meditator, so I don't do that. Mm-hmm. But what do you think of when you think daily practice and just what that means as a concept? Um, One moment for yourself. You know, that is to me the essence of of daily practice, like, you know, in, in a kernel. It's just one moment for yourself. And so that, like you had mentioned, daily practice can be anything from fitness to diet to exercise to meditation, um, but it's really giving permission to have a moment for the self. Um, So for me, I think something that we forget is to breathe. Breathing is autonomic. We just do it. But how often do we go through a whole day and never take a breath? Um, And, you know, if all you can do is give yourself permission to breathe fully and intentionally just once, then that's daily practice. So can you maybe give some examples of things that either you do or you know that other people do that would represent a daily practice that may just be taking a moment or something more elaborate? Sure. I'm going to start with a little story. A few years ago, I was working in IT project management, and I had this really stressful job. Um, And basically, it required me to go from one side of the city to the other for these meetings. And I had an appointment, um, a Skype appointment with Thorn Coyle, you know, to, to talk about practice. And here I am trying to get from one side of the city back home so I can get on my laptop, get 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 to Skype and have this this meeting with her and uh, we had some texts back and forth that I was going to be late she was so accommodating and, and I finally like just made it under the wire for our time and turned the computer on there she was looking at me and the first words out of her mouth were have you breathed today and so I think that for me is when the practice of taking a moment to just breathe became the stepping point of daily practice for me. Um, and what I mean by take by breathing or taking a breath is, you know, whether you're laying in bed or you're awake in the shower, is really, you know, is, is grounding into your your center and taking a full breath that expands your chest and your diaphragm and maybe into your bowels and just one realchemizing breath. And so that's where I have all people start with daily practice is giving themselves the permission to take a breath. And then when I teach daily practice techniques to people who are unfamiliar with them, I often say that um, 
what would it look like if you gave yourself one of those electronic tea lights and you put it in your desk drawer at work? And when you come into work, you reboot the time it takes to reboot your computer, what would it look like if you hit the on button on the computer at the same time you turned the tea light on and use that moment to breathe, you know, 10, 10 breaths, 10 full nourishing breaths um, as sort of the starting off point. Um, I think what happens is people think meditation or they think that yoga practice or they think that um, committing to these resolutions requires some momentous, you know, task when in actuality the success of daily practice is really in a small moment that is just for yourself. Um, so that's where I typically start people, and then I, I tend to tell people to find um, a teacher, an introduction to meditation course, if it's meditation, if it's a yoga class, it's beginner yoga, um, exercise, maybe it's a trainer at a gym one day a week, and just schedule that one moment in your life, you know, just for you. Um, my daily practice started uh, with candle gazing and evolved over over several years to be the Zen practice that I have today. Um, but it didn't start that way, and I think that's really crucial that people realize that um, mindfulness or meditation for an hour and a half is not is not beginner, it's not introductory. Um, so I, I would does that answer your question? It, it does, um, and you know, and I think that. I think that that's one of the things people often get tripped up on is they they start too big. They think, okay, I'm going to meditate every day. And then they think I have to do that for 30 minutes or for an hour. So they immediately try to start doing that. And it's overwhelming or they don't have the discipline or they feel like they can't sit and concentrate that long. So then they end up giving up on it. So I think it's that that the emphasis is on starting small and recognizing the value of the small rather than thinking it has to be big to somehow be of some sort of importance or value. Well, and I think that that goes back to our American value system, I see. And that is, am I doing it right? You know, if, am I, med the number one question I get in meditation, I started an introduction to meditation course in Philadelphia today, uh, before this call we sat, and the number one question from participants is, how do I know I'm doing it right and the answer to that, and I don't think people, it's not quantifiable, which is stressful, I think, but the answer to that is you showed up to the mat. Like, if you show up to the practice, whatever your practice can be, pulling a tarot card every day, lighting a candle at your desk, taking a deep breath, to full-on, you know, two-hour Kai where you just sit, the, the, the real practice is showing up. That's the practice is showing up. So it's not a matter of right or wrong or, or how you do it. It's a matter of showing up just to be present. Well, and I think that that, that American mentality also would say, but even after I do it, I don't have anything to show for it. You know, there's no right. but thing. There, so I have an answer to that because I think it's important. There actually is a thing there actually is a thing, and these are the things that that um, I tell people. If you give yourself permission to sit or to do one 
practice. So whether it's sit for 15 minutes on a, on a cushion, uh, pull a tarot card and meditate on it for five minutes, light a candle for 10 minutes, um, do some, you know, diaphragmatic breathing. If you commit to doing that for 30 days, just 30 days, no more than 10 minutes, tell me at the end of those 30 days that it wasn't quantifiable. Because if there, at some point in that moment of really being conscious of what's going on, your inner self will speak to you. You may not like what it says, but it will speak to you. Um, and I think in our American mentality, it's hard because we don't want to be in discomfort. And sometimes when we really get still, it becomes discomforting. And I don't mean like your legs hurt. I mean it becomes emotionally discomforting. But it does flip itself from dis-ease into easefulness. And it doesn't require a major commitment. So what do you think it is that gets in the way of people just being able to give themselves permission to do this? Um, I think it's twofold. I think part of it is time. People don't feel that they have enough time um, between work and kids and, and life, life, life is a bitch. I mean, it like the day is almost over, you know, when do you find time? I think that's part of it. I also think going back to that sort of Americanized concept, um, not good enough, not feeling good enough about ourselves. And an example of that is imagine for a moment that someone is saying to you, just take a deep breath like thorn coil looking at me and saying, you need to breathe. Um, it's being able to say, I'm good enough to breathe. And I know that sounds very um, altruistic and very sort of out there and new agey, but it's true. So often, you know, quantifiable things like a promotion at work or, uh, you know, a, a list of tasks to be done uh, makes people feel good. You know, I accomplished something. But I think the biggest challenge is not feeling good enough, not having the worth to give yourself the five minutes. Um, and a really good example of that I'm going to use is, is a single mom, you know, uh, drop the kids off at school. Well, get the kids up, dress the kids, feed the kids, drop the kids off at school, work all day, pick the kids up, you know, shower the kids, bathe the kids, put the kids to bed, feed them dinner. You know, when in that cycle is there time to, 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 be mom, to not be mom and to just have a moment? And so I think it's carving the time in our lives that stumbles us up, that says, you know what, I don't have the time. I'm not, and I think it really comes down to being good enough and, and I feeling think that... worthy enough. And I think that when you mention time, I, I think people both overvalue and undervalue time. <laughs> I think they right. overvalue it because they think they have none, which means my time is so taken up. But it's mm -hmm. not so much about not having time. It's choosing whether to make time for something or not. Uh, and that's what I think a lot of people don't recognize is they say they don't have time because of all of these external things, but don't recognize their choice in not making time for something that may be important to them. Um, and I think with that, when you talk about like the single mother is people also think they have to have this 
set-aside time block. They have to have a certain place and a certain thing to do and don't recognize it could be for that single mom. Maybe she just does that in the two minutes from when she lays down in her bed and before she goes to sleep. Maybe that's her only time to actually be able to do something for herself that way. But that's just as valid as somebody who gets up and goes sits on a cushion someplace in a dedicated meditation spot. But I think that a lot of times people don't recognize that or think that somehow doing the daily practice has to be some thing that they do rather than it's just a part of their everyday process. Well, I think part of it is, and, and I use the term practice because it's part of it's part of our work in the world. You know, it's part of, to me, daily practice um, is not separate and distinct from my daily living. I think that's really that there is a piece for people that needs to sort of shift. It's not something extra. Like, I'm going to meditate, therefore I'll have nirvana and all will be well. It's meditation is part of my routine. It's part of who, it's part of who I am. So finding that, so in, to your point, you know, you don't need a meditation room. Quite the opposite, in fact. Um, you don't need a, a set ritual per se. It's simply just part of your daily experience. And so... Um, a really great example of that is uh, for the person who's really busy is to do um, deep breathing or triple soul alignment um, in the shower. You know, you've got out of bed, you're in the shower, and while, you know, you're under the water for that moment, take a moment. Take a moment. Um, and the reason I use the example of the shower is because oftentimes being in the bathroom is the only time we're ever truly alone. You know, um, there's privacy typically in a bathroom. So you do it in the bathroom. Do it before you brush your teeth. Um, I think that as Americans in our consumerism, we think that it re- we are trained to think that daily practice involves a fancy mala from a fancy store, that it involves cushions, that it has a certain look to it. It needs to look this way. Sort of like all witchcraft looks like a pointy hat and um, gothy bottles, you know, of, of herbs and spices. When it may or may it may for some people, but it may not for all people. I think that's really important. Is that like not to get soaked up into the consumerism of what of what we're sold in the media that daily practice is. Well, I think that that speaks to two things. Actually, is the consumerism on the one hand says don't compare what you do as a daily practice to what somebody else does and then somehow feel yours isn't enough or isn't living up to something um, versus doing what is right for you and finding what works for you and allowing that to be okay. And the consumerism part also, I think, is there's a mentality of like disposability, but it's it's this sense of I do something and I do it for a while, even if it's for a day or a weekend or whatever but then i move on to the next thing you know there there's no sense of something that i am establishing or doing for the long term because it wears out and i need something new or something fresh or something different if i'm going to continue to get something out of it or to grow rather than seeing the value of the the depth of something that comes 
as you do it over and over and over again over the long period of time? Well, I think part of that is, and, and I'm going to use this analogy, um, it's a child that asks for the new toy. I was guilty of this as a child in much of my adult life. It was, I want, I want, I want, I want this thing. And you save up and you get the thing, and then you don't want the thing anymore. So when I meet people, you know, setting these resolutions, um, it's sort of like I want to have a six-pack abs. I want to, you know, I want to be, I want to look a certain way. And, you know, maybe you create a vision board and you cut out all these pictures of the life you want to have and you set that intention. Um, But that takes time. One does not go to the gym, say, for six months and turn out, you know, with a perfect body, you know, or whatever that intention was. Or, um, you know, people will say that if you rapidly lose weight, you gain it all back, but the, the helpful way to lose weight is like a pound a week. And that that's discouraging to people because you don't see it. You know, it's not, there's not that instant gratification. So when you say to somebody, let's meditate or, or let's do yoga or let's, you know, light a candle and do candle magic or you say, let's chant, you know, it's not quant- it, it doesn't have that same quantifiability. Um, so what we have is we have people will buy a whole bunch of things to create the ambiance. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I, I don't want to take away from the beauty of ambiance. I love the ambiance. Um, but then it sort of just sits there because the, the, the integration hasn't happened. There's an integration that is not happening. And I think that's the disconnect for the start of daily practices. The integration into life doesn't really take root. Um, so what I say instead to people is instead of making a resolution to daily practice or, or to whatever it is that, that happens at this time of year, to instead set an intention. And I like to set intentions by moon phase. So at the dark moon every month, I can check in with the intention that I set and say, hey, I'm going somewhere. I see a result. I, I see something happening. And it feels good. And if something's not happening, I'm able to reevaluate the intention. You know, here's, here's a cycle. Um, it's January. All yoga classes are full. Gyms are getting an influx of members. And by March, half of them are gone. And by summertime, the gym is now having a big sale because we want to get you back in. Imagine if there was a touch point every month. And so I use the moon phase of the dark moon as that touch point. You know, it's like, oh, here I am checking in. Let me look at my journal. Let me, let me, let me weigh myself. You know, let me log my meditation. And you can say, oh, look, I went from five minutes to 10 minutes to 15 minutes. It's quantifiable. So I think that's a piece of daily practice that's important is like, what are your markers and milestones? And having realistic markers and milestones keeps the practice relevant and real. It's like the people, you know, when they're trying to lose weight and they tell you, get rid of the scale because people will get on it every day. And if they haven't seen a change or if it goes up rather than down from yesterday to today, they suddenly feel like they're failing in their process rather than recognizing it's a, a marathon, not a sprint kind of approach. And we don't need the constant reminder that something isn't happening as fast as we would like, but we do need the regular check-in in order to simply be able to gauge the progress. 
Well, I think it's also saying um, let's meet where we are and not where we think we should be. You know, let's meet where we are. So maybe where we are is 10 pounds or 20 pounds or 30 pounds overweight or it's not as fit as we'd like to be or it's winded after climbing a set of stairs. Let's meet where we are and work with what we got. You know, a really beautiful statement I once heard was, pay what you can when you can. It's a, it's a, it was an exchange with someone that felt so, like, empowered. Like, like you couldn't pay everything up front, so you paid what you could when you could, and they were happy with that. So let us say, work with what you have when you have it. So if, if this is what you have, then it's perfectly imperfect, to quote yesterday, perfectly imperfect. And that's well, empowering. And and when you have those regular check-in points, it's right. also going into those check-in points and saying, let me see where I am in this process, rather than going into it saying, let me see where I, let me see how far away I am from my ultimate goal. Right. Exactly. You and oh, um, so one thing you had mentioned about ambiance, and there was something. I think that I saw it in a, a blog post that you did um, that you mentioned, you know, and a lot of people think that, well, you know, you have to have uh, low light and candles lit and incense burning to do meditation. Uh, you know, I certainly couldn't do it in my car or that kind of thing. And one thing that you said you did is when you would go and sit at your desk, the first thing you did is you would pull out a little, um, I, I'm assuming, electric candle and take a mm -hmm. moment to breathe and to center yourself there. And I think a lot of people would think, oh, my my desk, my cubicle at work, whatever, you know, that certainly isn't a sacred space or I couldn't do that there. And I I wonder if you can mention the, the benefit of seeing every space as sacred and the ability to do it anywhere rather than having that special set aside kind of thing. Right. Um, so the first piece I think is really important is that um, is to reframe what it means for sacred. Like, what does sacred look like? And to invite a reframe that sacred is any place that you are because you yourself are sacred. Okay? That's the first piece. Like, church, the word church means assembly of people before it meant building. So, like, Erase the concept that sacred has to be a place and let sacred be you. You are the temple, you, the person. So whether you're, you know, sitting at your desk or sitting in your car or sitting on your toilet, like all of it can be sacred because you are sacred. That's the first piece. The second piece is, you know, it doesn't have to look like someone else's rule book of what sacred is. So, you know, your office, your, your cubicle does not need, like you don't have to bring the incense and Om Shanti Om and music and a meditation cushion into your cubicle because you're sacred. So therefore the cubicle is sacred. And um, the reason I, I say an electric candle as opposed to something else is because to me, it's just a focal point. It's the focal point. So in your office setting, I mean, the candle is a focal point. It might not be safe in your in your work setting to have a statue of the Buddha or the statue of the goddess. That might 
not go over too well. But an electric tea light that sits in your desk drawer, no one's going to complain about that. And it doesn't, again, it doesn't have to be um, a mantra or a prayer or an invocation. It just simply has to be a breath. And what I like to say is, isn't it, is an intention that you say inside. So, um, so, you know, a great one for me is I light the candle, I take a breath, and I say, um, today will be the best day for today. And then I dedicate that intention to the, to the universe and say, may today be of benefit for all people everywhere. I take my breath, and it's, it's, it's almost anticlimactic, I see. I think people generally think that it's some, the daily practice is some, like, awe-inspiring, chills down the spine, you know. I just, you know, met a famous person that I always wanted to know type of thing. And quite frankly, daily practice is really ordinary. It's very ordinary, um, which is why it shouldn't be intimidating because it's ordinary. It's ordinary mind as, as Zen people would call it. It's just ordinary. It's like, oh, that's it. That's all I have to do. That's it. And from there, more will build. More will come organically. And and really, one thing that we're kind of striving for with the daily practice is for that sense of feeling focused, centered, grounded. Um, you know, we want that to be an ordinary state of being rather than this, you know, I feel that every once in a while and it's extraordinary, but it's not my normal way of being. And daily practice helps to make it more of that ordinary, everyday way of being. And I find that the more you do daily practice, it's kind of like a muscle memory. Um, if you have mm-hmm. something that you can use to associate or connect with that daily practice, then it becomes a touchstone that you can use at any time to almost automatically trigger yourself back to that state. So whether it's your electric candle meaning every time you pull out your desk drawer, you see that candle and it'll immediately trigger a response for you to just take a breath. Or if there's an incense that you burn, maybe you have a spray or something, and whenever you feel you need, uh, that you're feeling a little out of sorts in some way throughout the day, you just do a spritz of the spray, smell that smell, and it'll immediately bring you back to that state of where you go when you meditate with that incense. Um, It could be a crystal that you have in your pocket, and every time you touch it, it reminds you. But I think that that, and I don't know how you feel about that, but I think for me it's important to have something so that not only is it about that minute or however long it is that I set aside to do a daily practice, it's also something that can kind of immediately trigger me back to the place that I'm using daily practice to bring myself into uh, at any moment throughout the day without having to necessarily go through the whole process or have all the trappings and that kind of thing. Right. Well, uh, a result, so, uh, you know, another analogy, you know, a result of daily practice is the ability to shift our consciousness at will. And that, you know, might sound a little dramatic, but it's true. And a really great example of that is so often, you know, we're walking around, humans, we're walking around, you know, volatile. We're volatile. There's no time for us and we're volatile. So you'll see people kind of freak out at work or, or their language will become, will become, you know, sort of um, discursive or, or maybe you are in a meeting 
and your boss is railing about something and there is this reaction in our body to to fight back. Daily practice allows us to, instead of fighting back, lean into that candle in the back of our mind, the scent, um, the crystal in our pocket, and brings us back to that state of centeredness. So instead of flying off the handle, um, you know, we are, you know, we're in a, we're in a place of power. We're in an empowered place where we are in control of of our body and our mind. And I, for me, that is the the real reason to bring daily practice into the into our lives is to, in some ways, to give us control in an uncontrollable world. You know, a sense of of knowing, a sense of being. And we, I see this most for myself. Um, you know, on my yoga mat, that's where I see it, but I know that other people see it in other ways. You know, sort of, I'm able to confront this sensation in my practice, and therefore, when it comes up in my real life, um, you know, when I maybe I wouldn't like it, you're able to redirect it to know, to know the full experience better. Um, it's the difference, um, as I, as one of our, one of our mutual friends, you know, Yesha Rabbit would say, you know, it's the difference between um, anger that is justified or righteous and anger that's from a place of hate is when you're able to sort of touch that and know it. And daily practice allows us to touch all of those emotions, you know, from love to to hurt to anger uh, in a way that's, that's real and tangible. And we're not taught that in the consumer wheel. Like we're not taught that lesson when we're buying our mala at the mala shop or when we're, you know, shopping for a cushion because we think that's the right way. And, I mean, you've said over and over that basically it all starts with the breath. So I'm just curious, why the breath? What is the importance? Why is that kind of that source point for all of this? Wow, <laughs> that's a huge question. Um, the breath. Um, I think there are um, there are many reasons. I mean, we, we could talk about uh, wisdom traditions that are uh, from Buddhism to paganism to tantra, uh, where breath is the the entry point of of the sacred. Uh, my my yoga teacher, Sue Elkin, would say that when we are born, we are born on Shakti's exhalation, and when we die, uh, we return to her on her inhalation. Um, cultures near and wide have, you know, always stated that the breath is the um, the foundation of our life essence. So that is the the, the poetic. I think the the scientific is. When we are in a state of anxiety or in a state of heightened awareness, um, whether that is uh, the sensation to fight or the sensation to flee or the sensation to react as opposed to respond, what we know is that our breath changes, that we start to have shallow breathing and it becomes rapid. And when we have rapid, shallow breathing, we have increased heart rate. 
And, you know, there's a chemical change in our body. So when we return to the breath, we're reminding ourselves of the capacity of what the breath can be. A really great example of that is for years, I would go to meditation and I would breathe in through my nose and out through my mouth. And then, you know, I would regulate my breathing into this rhythmic cycle and I would spend the entire time crying because my body was healing. And that is what breath does. We breathe this, this transformational breath and it heals and it realchemizes our body. And the fascinating thing, and I'm sure there is some great study about why this is, but the fascinating thing to me is that it's free. I don't have to buy it. You, you, we all have it. Um, it's, it's magic within our body that we can do with no, with like no, no added, no extra. Just you and the breath. So that for me is really the the power of the breath, I also think that it's easy because we're going to breathe anyways. It's not something we don't do. We breathe. So you're, you're going to have a moment of daily practice. You're looking at your candle. Maybe you have a mala. I don't know. You bought one. Well, you can count the breath. You know, breathe in, breathe out one, breathe in, breathe out two. It's a place to put that focal point. Um, and it really changes who, it really changes. Like when we have control of our breath, um, we, have, we have power. We have real power in our core, in our body. Um, and so that for me is, is why it's about the breath. In addition to sort of the, the wisdom traditions that talk about the power of breath. And, uh, a phrase that I like that I think that people often think of if they think of doing a daily practice or they think of somebody who meditates a lot or whatever is they, they think it goes from breath to bliss. And, <laughs> well, you know, and, and <laughs> um, how can we perhaps encourage people to see that bliss is not necessarily an out-of-the-ordinary state or something that we have to necessarily strive to get to versus it's something that we can have even with a simple inhalation and exhalation? Um, I think it's part of reframing and retraining our mind. Like, instead of bliss being outside the body, what if bliss was inside the body? You know, so if you're doing a daily practice for five minutes a day and you're returning to your breath and you're returning into the body, then let that be, let that be a new definition of bliss, just that moment inside your body where you will confront a whole bunch of different things, both positive and negative. I think when we let go of the idea that bliss is something outside the body that is uh, extra, or that is attainable through purchase or through trade with, you know, someone. When we when when bliss is inside the body, uh, things are things begin to become more easeful for us. Um, so I think that's one way. I also think 
that when we separate ourselves from the bliss, we're, we're, we're trying, people try to achieve something. However, what would it look like if instead we brought ourselves into the idea that both the positive and the negative are part of the whole that is sometimes blissful and bountiful, you know, and sometimes not. And that that's okay. I think that's it. I think it's about the permission that it's okay. It's okay that my daily practice looks different than your daily practice that looks different from the person across the street's daily practice. Um, that how I experience bliss might be a little bit different than how you experience bliss, but that together in this sort of collective um, experience, you know, we're striving towards a wholeness that, that is sorely lacking in, 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 in humankind right now. And I think that that's something, you know, that people are constantly, you know, looking for books to read or teachers or workshops mm-hmm. or something that somehow is supposed to tell them or show them what what bliss is supposed to look like, what enlightenment is supposed to look like, what kind of experience I'm supposed to have when I know that I've reached the point of doing it right or at a certain level or something like that. And what I hear you saying is if people could let go of that versus saying, find what it means to experience that yourself rather than needing someone mm-hmm. or something else to define it or tell you what you should be trying to experience. Well, I see it will never be authentic practice if it's someone else's practice. You know, if I can give you access points to meditation, I teach it all the time. I can give someone you know, access points to, um, you know, daily practices. You can give access points to daily practice. You can give access points to how to interpret tarot. Um, we all have gifts that to give people access. We have a very access-driven world right now. But the actual experience is, is a one-on-one thing. And I, you know, because I come from a Zen tradition first and foremost, um, for me it's always approaching it as a beginner. There's no expert. Even the expert or the person you think is an expert is still a beginner. So it's never, there's not, a, it's not quantifiable in the way that we know quantifiable to be. Instead, it's already quantified because it's within you. Um, you know, so for daily practice, you know, great. There are several books on, on it and on how to cultivate the practice and sort of the entry points and the steps because like everything, there, there are um, proven ways that sometimes, you know, help people get into rhythm with something. But the actual experience is, is infinite because it's every person's experience. And I think that's a blessing, actually. I agree. Um, you know, oftentimes what you hear from people is they go to a ritual and have this ecstatic experience and now they're just so fired up. They're just, you know, it's like I'm going to start doing this or meditating or doing whatever it is that they feel inspired to do every day. Um, and they, they start to do it and then it wanes and it falls off and, and they kind of step away from it. 
Um, you know, but I'm also thinking at the beginning of the show, I did a, a little segment that was in support of the the march and things that are going on in France today. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and with that, you get this sense of there's this swell of emotion that people have. And it's like, OK, now we're all in this together. We're now we're all going to work to be more in solidarity. We're going to try to work for peace more. And then, of course, we'll probably see that start to fall off and politics will start to come back in and that kind of thing. So one, how would you suggest people take that kind of swell of something and inspiration, emotion, whatever it is that is compelling them to start doing a a daily practice of some sort and enter into that in a way that is able to be sustained. And two, when it does wax and wane, how would you suggest people move beyond feeling guilty or like a failure for that versus accepting that that sometimes happens, but not to be afraid to just restart where you are rather than feeling now I have to pick it back up or now I won't be able to be at the same level I was when I stopped. Okay. it's a really good question. Um, for the first part, um, I'm going to use the analogy of the ritual. You go to the ritual with your group of people and you've left in, in, in this great ecstatic way and now you're going to you know, be really in it. So instead of trying to recreate that ecstatic experience that you had with, you know, 10 of your friends, what was the one thing that you loved about the experience and how can you recreate just that one thing? So if a ritual, say, has 15 parts to it that are all moving, what is the one part you loved the most and how can you do that at home by yourself? Because remember, if there are 15 people in the ritual with 15 moving parts, you were one part. So as a solitary person, when you're alone, what is the one part? And, you know, an example of that is I went to a ritual with the Assembly of the Sacred Wheel um, at uh, Pagan Pride in Delaware, and they did a huge ritual, and it was really powerful. And I left, you know, like full of all that ritual energy and came home and was like, I want to do all these things and sort of bit into that hook of, of I'm going to do this all the time. And instead, I was like, well, what was that one piece that I really, really loved? And I began to take baby steps around around it. And so I think that that is how how you take sort of the quantifiable, overwhelmingly positive group experience and you make it real in your life. Uh, that's one. And the other is some support around it. I think you should have support systems in place. So if you're making... Um, strides towards something new, allow support, allow people to know, bring them into the conversation. So I think that's one. When it comes to waxing and waning, you know, I think it's, I think that's the best part is when you fall off the, the maybe fall off the, the cycle. Because We're not, like, humans. Like, people are not machines. We are subject to a whole host of things from, you know, the good, the bad, the happy, the busy, the blissful, um, that that we're going to fall off. We're going to let things drop. We're going to uh, 
not meditate one day. And that's okay, because if it was anything other than perfectly imperfect, it would not be sustainable. So if we approach the daily practice as part of our lives, that sometimes we may not do. Some days we'll do it and we'll feel great. Sometimes we'll do it and we'll feel, eh, not so great. Sometimes we'll do it and nothing happens, and other days it feels like an ecstatic experience. Okay, you just keep doing it. And if you fall off of it, remember that it's always there. I find it's like a bicycle. If you, you know, if you come off of the bicycle, it doesn't mean you stop learning how to ride it. It just means that you're not riding the bicycle right now. And that's okay. When you are ready to ride the bicycle again, when you need to get from point A to point B, and the only way to get there is on the bicycle, you'll pick up the bicycle, and you might be wobbly at first, but then you'll be riding the bicycle again. And that's the same for daily practice. I don't meditate every single day. People think I do because it's like, oh, he's a meditation teacher. I don't. No, I don't go to public ritual hardly ever. But once I'm there, it's not like it's not like I forgot how it's done. I think it's okay. It's, 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 I don't want to sound like I'm being laconian, but I, I am being a little bit like a little bit less pressure and a little bit more permission could make the world a whole a whole lot better. And it makes me think I'm I'm currently enrolled in a professional herbalism course, and one of the things that they mentioned that I found very insightful um, was that if somebody is taking, uh, say that they take an herbal supplement on a daily basis, just as kind of a an overall maintenance kind of thing for their well-being, they say, even if you're doing that, take a day off every week. So like take it Monday through Saturday and don't take it on Sunday and then start again on Monday because that allows your body to have a little bit of a break and it allows your it allows the effectiveness to one be able to continue so your body doesn't start to become so used to it that you have to have you know higher amounts for something to be effective and when you do start taking it that day after it's you stopped it uh has it's almost like it has a stronger effect on the body it kind of kickstarts the body back into that mode again and it would it, it strikes me that i think that either taking a day off or, or waxing and waning with a daily practice or perhaps changing up what you do as your daily practice. So there's a bit of variety rather than it being just the same thing every single time over and over again. It's true. I mean, I think, and I'll, I'll use myself as an example. I'll do a, a small cycle. Um, I will go for months chanting every single day. I love to, I love mantra. And I'll be very public about it, and I'll invite people into the mantra practice, and blah 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 blah. But then I don't want to. I don't want to do it anymore. I'm bored, or uh, or I want to move on to something different. So maybe it'll be seated practice. Maybe it will be a more vigorous, you know, exercise practice. I think that one of the great um, benefits is to daily practice is having a toolbox with lots of different practices in it, and cycling them, you know, as you need, as you need to. So at the dark moon, I light a beautiful white candle and I have a moment and I do my thing. I only do it then. It's sort of like, um, and then sometimes, 
Sometimes I do it two days too late. Sometimes, I, you know, because of life, it's like, oh, well, I'm not free on the dark moon. I have to work, but I'm free the day before. And it's giving yourself permission to be okay with maybe not being textbook, with being yourself. Um, so for me, inviting that, that, that um, freedom to explore, to have sort of a, a beginner mind, to uh, see what feels right for them is, is, is part of the key. It's sort of like going shopping. You know, you're trying on different, different uh, practices to see which one fits best for you. Mine is meditation, but that may not be for someone else. Other people may be like, oh, I hate that. I'd rather go for a run. Go. You know, that, that's it for you. Other people, it might be casting a circle and doing, you know, weaving, weaving magic. Great. However, I might also really, caution. Yeah. I might also caution there, even if, if you're trying to figure out what might work for you and what might not, don't just do something one day and then determine whether it does or it doesn't work for you. <laughs> you know, don't well, meditate one day well, and then tomorrow say, okay, I'm going to go for a run because I didn't really get out of meditation yesterday. It's like, well, try so, meditation so, maybe for a week and then try running. So, you know, because I like the moons, um, wrote a whole book about them. I think do <laughs> a, give yourself a moon phase. I'm going to meditate for, for one moon, for one lunar cycle. I'm going to try something different for another lunar cycle. You know, give it, give, I agree. You have to give something sometime. Give it a marker. But have, the re, have whatever you, you are expecting the result to be, to be realistic for where you are in your life. You know, and I think that's really important. I think that's where the discouragement happens, the, the falling off. Is it's like, well, nothing's happening. And I think when we temper our expectation a little, life can be a little bit more more blissful. Maybe from a semantic point of view, maybe even renaming this, instead of calling it daily practice, calling it regular practice, so that we don't feel like it I'll has let, I'll, to be... I'll let, you, um, I'll let you, you own that one. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I think I think regular practice, daily... Well, I do think whatever it is that you choose, Whatever person, I do think it should be daily. I do think you need a daily touch point. So for me, that's just for me. I tell people my the daily touch point is five deep breaths a day, somewhere. You figure it out. That's the daily, and then the rest of it is what happens when we like once you unlock the door to sort of the practice point, then all sorts of different practices will come your way. Some you'll do all the time, some you'll do once a month, some you may only do once. They do think that there is a little bit of a um, a retraining of the American mind to be in to be in community with with something every day. Um, but I don't think that it has to be insurmountable, like meditation for a half hour or a big public ritual. I think it can be just five breaths. For me, that, that's been my experience. Well, for me, regular practice didn't mean that it wasn't every day. It just took away that idea that I, I'm doing the same thing every day. 
versus okay. I'm I'm doing something on a daily basis. I'm doing it regularly, so it means I'm I don't necessarily meditate every day, but I have a regular practice that I do every day. I realize it's a okay. semantic argument, <laughs> um, okay. and and when you gave the example of the the mantra, it really made me think. When I was thinking about the herbs as well, um, if you're if you're doing mantra or chanting every day, but let's say that you did that six days a week, and on the seventh day you just sat in silence, the the, the experience of the silence may have a more immediate or profound effect or experience at that because you're so used to hearing the sound of yourself. And then you suddenly have a day where you don't. And then the next day when you do start to do mantra or chant again, you're even more conscious about that sound once again. So I just thought I'd toss that in because it made me think of that when you gave that example. <laughs> uh, um, so what would you say is uh, a couple of suggestions or tips for people that are thinking either, how do I start doing a daily practice Um or how do I re-engage a daily practice uh, that maybe I've fallen off of? Where would be a good place for people to start? So the first place to start, in my opinion, is start where you are and not where you think you should be. So um, if it's meditation, start where you are. If you've never meditated before, then it's probably five minutes. If you're a skilled meditator who's fallen off the wagon, maybe it's 20 but start where you are and not where you think you should be. If, you know, you want to be a runner and you in your daily practice is running and you've never run before, then maybe it's just from here to the end of the block. And if you're an experienced runner, then you know your body probably more. So start where you are is the first place. The second is to pick one small thing that has no accoutrement, just one, one little thing. Um, so I'll recommend for everyone listening today to start with a tea light at your desk. You know, uh, five minutes with the tea light, five breaths, um, the time it takes to light to start the computer, whatever it might be. Um, and just give yourself the permission to, to be there. Um, no judgment. You know, let's not have judgment. The world is judgy enough. Your practice is your practice, and it will be as beautiful as you are. And, and let that be be good enough. I think more than anything, I see it's not what the practice is, it's how you approach the practice. If you approach the practice empowered, then the practice will be successful. Um, I really believe that to be true. Uh, even if it's hard, it'll be successful because you are going into it with the reframe of worth. Um, you know, I, I like, I'm a quantified, quantifiable person, so... Uh, touch point, whether that is with a teacher every few weeks or with um, a journal entry and just sort of looking at where you're going, or if it's, um, you know, saying to yourself every lunar cycle you will uh, just check in with yourself and, and maybe where your progress is. Um, documentation is a fabulous thing because so often we forget, you know, where we were six months ago. So documentation is a great thing. You you can even do it on your phone if you have a smartphone in the notes section. Just write a little note there for yourself. Like, I meditated today for three minutes. And then touch point a month later, you might be at 13 minutes. And be, that's quantifiable. That was success. Um, or if it's still at three minutes, 
hey, it's still at three minutes. It just means you need to go a little bit longer. So I do think that that is a way to help people keep keep with it um, and to keep it fresh. Okay. So as I am wont to do at the end of each of our conversations on this show, I'm going to pose a question to you from a previous guest, and then I'm going to ask you to offer a question for a future guest without knowing who that is. Uh, So the question that was posed previously was by uh, my guest in December, Indigo Ronlov, who my term is that she's uh, working on garbage consciousness, but she's working towards making us aware of what we use and the resources we have and how to reuse things. Um, her question for you, even though she didn't know it would be you, uh, is what can humanity do to shift its overly wasteful and consumptive tendencies and habits? I know. Start a daily conference. <laughs> Uh, no, uh, I will tell you, I think it is being satisfied with what you have, you know, as opposed to what you think you should need. You know, I think we buy, like from a consumer perspective, we buy a lot of things because we think we need them when we don't. So, you know, do you need, you know, to buy a plastic bottle of water every day? Do you really need it? Or would you be good enough, you know, reusing a mason jar? Do you need new cl- like new jeans just because you want them? Like, do you need them? Like, we live in a very, or like when you're at the grocery store, like how how hard would it be? Well, I'm not sure where it's like in some parts of the country, but I know here where I live, if you go to a couple of grocery stores, you have to pay for another bag. Like you have to pay for the bags. So how hard would it be to bring a, a bag of your own? I think you know, to tie it to daily practice, when we have daily practice, we become far more mindful of our surroundings and what we amass and how we interact with the world um, than if we don't have daily practice because our consciousness shifts. There's a consciousness shift through through a daily practice where you, all of a sudden you are really mindful of what is around you, both the beautiful and also the baneful. Um, for me, I limit my I limit my uh, my trash to one bag. Like if like if if it looks like it's going to be more than one bag, then then I feel like I have to like make concession. So that is my my thought on that. All right. That was a powerful yeah. question. That's like a whole other show. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and so what question would you like to pose for a future guest? Um, what are you doing for yourself that is of benefit to others? All right. Well, thank you for that. You're welcome. And I want to thank you for being willing to take some time to join me here today. And I want to Always. remind... 
And I want to remind people that you can find out more about Eric Dupree and the work that he does. You can read his various blog posts as well as find out more information on his published works, his books, uh, including his forthcoming anthology uh, on, is it Finding the Masculine in the Goddess's Spiral? Yep. Yeah. Um, by visiting his website at www.ericdupree.com, which is E-R-I-C-K-D-U-P-R-E-E.com. So thank you very much, Eric, for being here today. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. And stay tuned because coming up, we I'm going to be giving a bit of a, an astrology outlook for the whole year of 2015. So you might want to have a little something to jot down some um, important dates uh, and plan on maybe how uh, doing some things around certain times of the year, knowing when to be a little more cautious in the year. Um, so I'll be doing that. And of course, if you would like to receive a reading, you can do so by Skyping in or calling 646-716-5510, and that will be able to get you into the queue for a reading, which we will do just after the astrology update. So my thanks to Eric Dupree for joining us here today, and stay tuned for the astrology of 2015 coming up, just some highlights. <laughs> and uh, if you would like to get into the queue for a reading, I would encourage you to do so as well. And we will be right back. Revolution with host Heisey Lutmers on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Find out more at Facebook.com slash Revolution with Heisey. Thank you so much for listening so far through the show. Um, I will just mention, in case anyone was just a little bit confused at the very beginning of the show, that the first segment was just a show of 
support and solidarity with the French people and the various uh, gatherings that were happening around the world, actually, in response to the events in Paris uh, last week uh, and the show of unity around the world for uh, liberty, for freedom of expression, as well as for peace and hopefully for a sense that we maintain this feeling of we're all in this together and that we can certainly be stronger uh, if we all stand together. So that's what the first segment was about. I realized most of it was in French, but that was in honor of the French. Um, so this is our uh, astrology update segment, and for this, I'm actually doing something a little different. Usually we do it for the month, but this is for a look at the upcoming year of 2015, just so we have a sense of some of the highlights, some of the significant dates, um, which hopefully will help to plan some things, know when to maybe do some things or not do some things um, throughout the year. So the the big question for this year uh, if you want to think of it as your your theme for the year and how you would respond to this throughout the year, uh, the question is, do we like the shape of our life? Because we're coming out of a, a let us say, turbulent and difficult period called the Pluto-Uranus square, um, which has been going on for a couple of years and finally comes to a close uh, in terms of its directness uh, at the end of March. And lots of things have shifted and changed and been uprooted and old has been thrown out, but we don't quite know what the new is. And as we move through this year, we have a chance to start to figure out how do I make sense of the shifts and changes that have taken place now that I can feel as if, if I put effort into moving forward, I can actually see progress rather than just bracing for one impact after another. So we want to start thinking about how does my life look now? What shape do things uh, have? And do I like that? Are they still in flux? And most importantly, as we go through the year, it's it's using this year because there's a sense of potential and um, a, a malleability to things that it says that by the end of the year, things are going to start to solidify. So what we do throughout the year, we want to make sure we're putting things in place and doing things in such a way that as they start to form, think of like working with clay. It's like throughout the year, we're molding and shaping the clay because by the end of the year, the clay is going to start to harden and we're not going to have as much ease for changing that shape and, and setting how it's going to look. So really use this year to be thinking about what and how you're shaping to very consciously and conscientiously do things, make plans, take actions, set intentions so that they are a part of shaping the way something is how you would like for it to look rather than, you know, having started to shape the clay and you were going to make a bowl and it's like, well, I guess I didn't quite do it right by the time it hardened and so I guess I'll have a uh, a nice standing solid thing rather than a bowl I can put something in. Um there is a the tone of the year in an overall sense. Um, there is a certain unsettledness to it, but that's just because we are in the process of starting to rebuild, reshape, and that kind of thing. Um, it's a year to really explore options, to consider all the possibilities rather than to try to hold on to the old ways or think there's only one way. Be willing to explore, to experiment, to try out different things. Um, we're also going to continue to see a lot of 
tendencies towards confronting the power of organized authority. Um, we've been seeing that. We're certainly not done with that. Um, and I think it's because there is this unsettledness in the majority of people that says things just aren't right. Things just can't work or continue to work the way that they have been. The old systems, the old ways just can't be maintained and simply are not feasible, nor are they successful, nor do they really work towards the good and benefit of all people versus a small handful of people. So I think we're going to continue to see a lot of um, tension around that, a lot of confrontation about that. Um, also, this year, especially as we get towards the summer into like July, um, romance is in the air. Uh, it's it's a strong year for love in some ways. So we may you may experience some very significant breakthroughs, maybe breakdowns, but just some some significant developments on the romance and the love front, uh, regardless of whether you're single or married. I mean, if you're single and looking for a relationship, this is a year that may bring a lot of significant developments in that way. If you're in relationship, you may find there are significant developments and shifts that happen in that relationship or relationships, depending on if you're polyamorous. Um, and you know, some of those may be strengthened. Some of those may go to another level. Some of those may fall away. But the, the, the theme of romance and love is certainly very strong in the year and will especially kick in um, around the early part of, of July because uh, Venus is playing a big role during the year. Um, and you know, there's, we're going to continue to see a lot of passionate unrest on the social front uh, in kind of a collective sense. Um, we're also going to feel more intensely we're going to take our work more intensely personal. Um, we're going to feel more engaged by the work that we do when it's work that we're doing that is in alignment with our path and purpose, when it's in alignment with what we know is right for us. Um, so we may feel more motivated, more engaged, um, more driven, more ambitious especially around things that represent work that is close to our heart or really stimulates our own personal sense of passion and um, desire. Um, we're also likely to see lots of um, innovation and um, like, uh, brilliant flashes of insight and, and things like that. However, they will come and go very quickly. So on the one hand, it says if it comes, you know, grab it run with it. Don't forget it. Write it down. Take action on it in that moment. Don't hesitate. Don't wait. Don't put off. Um, and I think even though they come and go quickly, it can also indicate that if it goes away and we haven't had a chance to do something with it, there will be something else coming. So, you know, it's like if we see a flash of lightning during a storm and we didn't get to take a picture of it, if we just wait, there's going to be another flash of lightning. We don't quite know when. We just want to be ready. Um, so that's going to kind of be the sense throughout the year as well. Um, we may, the, the first part of the year, especially the first three months of this year, um, are likely to be a bit turbulent, a bit roller coastery. Um, there may be some shocking global events, which, of course, we've already started to see, just like, for example, with France last week or a couple of days ago, because we never want to forget that these kind of things are happening everywhere, not just in the Western world. Um, you know, Boko Haram uh, in Nigeria killed 2,000 people in, in a village. So those are shocking events. And while we can be shocked by them and upset by them, and we may find ourselves particularly sensitive throughout the year to world events, we want that 
sensitivity and that shock to be a motivating factor for us to be part of the solution, to be part of changing the world and doing something about it rather than causing us to want to just hide away and bury our head in the sand and pretend like that part of the world doesn't exist as long as everything around me is okay. Um, April through September is going to feel, you know, after March, especially April through September, we're going to feel as if we finally can catch our breath, that we've come through the worst of it, that finally the storm has passed. This is the Pluto-Uranus square. And we may be a bit shell-shocked. We may feel as if we're dealing with the aftermath, but at least we feel like we can start to assess, deal with, and figure out how to begin the process of rebuilding rather than feeling as if we just keep getting knocked down and knocked backward every time we do. Um, We may find that, well, the the latter part of the year will be a bit more volatile, October through December. Um, It's a great opportunity for experiencing some amazing breakthroughs, but it's also some intense energy, which can also cause some breakdowns. A lot of that would go back to what, for example, we were talking about with Eric in terms of having a daily practice. Start developing that now because the more we have that in place, the more we're able to um, face and work with intense energy rather than to feel overwhelmed by it, um, which means that we have greater opportunity for breakthrough versus breakdown. Uh, so a lot of that is it's not so much that it's just going to happen to us. It's more about how we're going to work with it and whether we've prepared ourselves to be able to adequately and properly deal with it and withstand it so that we can use it in a productive way rather than just feeling destroyed by it. Um, there's the the Mercury, you know, we always have Mercury retrogrades, and all of the Mercury retrogrades this year are going to be in air signs, which actually is very interesting because Mercury is also associated with air. And this is going to give us a chance to um, reinvent a, a, a bit of our lives in some way. It also is going to challenge us with a goal of finding freedom in expressing ourselves in new ways, um, which may also go back to what we're talking about with Eric, of giving ourselves permission to express ourselves in a new way in the world rather than just falling into the old us and being how everybody else has known us or what everybody else expects us to be. Um, So we'll probably feel a bit stimulated (laughs) to, to be something new, to express ourselves in a new way. It doesn't mean that our whole our whole life has to change. It may just be one portion of ourselves or our lives where we find ourselves doing that, but that's going to really be stimulated, especially during the Mercury retrograde periods, um, which I will be mentioning the dates for momentarily. Um, and uh, Jupiter is also kind of touching most of the planets um, throughout the year. And so that's actually, I mean, that's a good thing. It's really going to kind of touch off a lot of um energy uh, expansion potential and opportunity it also brings a bit of luck um so in some ways jupiter doing this we may have our sense of proportion maybe a little out of whack throughout the year so really check in with yourself it's kind of like are my eyes bigger than my stomach you know as i go through and take food and put it on my plate am i taking more than i'm really going to be able to eat um, or am i taking it in a proportion that i know is going to both make me full as well as i'm going to eat everything rather than feeling as if i overate and don't feel good as a result of that uh, or i leave a lot on my plate that i don't eat simply because i took too much so 
really kind of stay conscientious about that sense of proportion in all of the different aspects and areas of your life, whether that's, you know, food. I mean, it could be um, how we spend money. It could be exercising too much, not exercising enough, whatever it is, but find that proportion, which I think also speaks to the daily practice conversation. You know, find the right proportion for you rather than over trying, meaning I'm going to meditate for 30 minutes even though I've never done it, versus let me just start with a couple of minutes a day. Um, Or I've been doing a couple of minutes a day for a year, but I'm afraid to go beyond that because maybe it'll be too much. Go ahead and do four minutes rather than two minutes. So, it's that idea of proportion that's really going to be challenged throughout the year. Um, but Jupiter touching all of these planets, you know, at different times really is going to create an, uh, an overall energy that we can tap into that can really help with things like successful business deals, um, relationships moving to the next level, marriages. Um, it's also going to probably find that if we have been doing good work, if we have been putting ourselves into something and really are engaged with it, that we will be um, receiving reward from the the work and the ideas that we are putting out into the world. Um, so again, be intentional and know, am I doing what I need to be doing? Am I doing the right kind of work? Um, am I putting out the right kind of ideas? Um, because those things are going to resonate with people and that's going to um, be rewarded throughout the year as a result of Jupiter playing a, a major role. Um, and, you know, and I think the with the Venus aspect, the romances in the air, this is a year to step out into the spotlight. And, you know, if you're looking for love, it's going to be looking for you, but you have to make yourself known. <laughs> you have to put yourself out there. Uh, if you're looking for advancement in career, you have to step into the spotlight and put yourself out there. It's not just going to come to us without us doing anything, but if we step into the spotlight, it can show that we're engaging in the process. We're going to find that probably what we're looking for or hoping for or needing is going to be there to come to us as well because it's like, oh, now I see where you are, now I can come to you. So don't shy away from the spotlight in the coming year. Um, Now, just to look at the different quarters of the year for January through March. Um, January, we kind of want to turn our focus to our relationship with things like groups, with the community, as well as the, the, the political process. Um, you know, what part are you playing in that? Or are you just taking a hands-off role? Are you engaged? Or are you just hiding away from it? It's not a time to be hiding away, by the way. Um, uh, There's a sense that, especially in this early part of the year, we may be kind of wrestling with some deeper questions within ourselves. um, And it's because we're being asked to really look at how we need to change the structure and discipline of how power is used, both in the world, in society, in our community, as well as in ourselves. Um, It's asking us to really look at how we use power. Do we use it in a a, a proper way, in a right way? Um, It's and, and power can include, doesn't have to just include like what we're doing to something or someone else in the world. It can also include things like electrical power, fossil fuels, personal power, political power. You know, it's looking at all of these different forms and types of power so that we're willing to really say, okay, how do I take that back where I've given it away? How do I make sure that I'm using power in a way that is the cleanest way possible? 
And again, whether that's a fossil fuel or a personal power, cleanest would mean most ethical, uh, most beneficial, not only for myself, but for all involved. Proportion that we talked about would mean, am I using or taking resources and power more than I need, or am I using what I need to make sure there is enough for everyone? Um, it's also, especially during uh, January, we're asked to really listen to how we can go about enlivening, um, how we can really tap into the spark and be spontaneous with what really calls us. Um, we want to recognize the spark and we want to fan that so that it becomes a flame, um, which is going to be things that we feel called to, things that we feel really passionate about, things that we feel really ambitious about or that we really desire. Um, you know, mid-January, which is kind of where we're coming to here in the next couple of days, um, a little bit of that outward focus is going to become more inward and this is where I was talking about, we're going to start to feel more of sensitive towards the world in general in the sense of it's it's being very empathic almost, but it's kind of, and we could see that like with what's happening in France today. It's like everybody is feeling the emotion around the world of what they have gone through in the past week. It's similar to like for America with the September 11th thing. Hopefully it's the same thing when somebody hears about 2,000 people in a village being killed uh, in Nigeria, that, that you feel almost this overwhelming emotion that taps right into what those people are going through. And the reason for that is what it's really doing is it's asking, how are we responding to that? And are we responding with healthy action? Now, there's two things to pay attention to there. Healthy, meaning are we taking right action? Are we doing something that is beneficial or are we just reacting in a way? Like the thing in France, if the the hard right people could come out and their response is going to be to be more xenophobic, close off the borders, get rid of all the Muslims, you know, that kind of thing. That is not a healthy action. <laughs> um, the other part of that is action. It says it's not just about feeling it, but it's also saying, what am I going to do in response to it? And it doesn't mean that we have to go to Nigeria. It means I also know that that's happening in the world around me. And what can I do in the immediate world that I have some sort of access to or in a relationship with? Am I doing something to better that world as well because of how this is affecting me or making me feel? Um, and, you know, and so ultimately we want to take action that is kind, that is, that allows for a bit of grace, that is compassionate. Um, you know, it, those are the kind of things we want to make sure that is part of the healthy aspect of the action that we're taking and not reaction. You know, make sure that you take a moment so that you're taking action rather than you're just reacting to something which may not be the best or the healthiest thing to do. So the first Mercury retrograde will be from January 21st through February 11th. And this is going to be uh, really key for things like technical innovations. Um, although I will say that it's a better, it's not a good time to make purchases. So I would put off 
making any major purchases or decisions regarding things that have to do with like high tech um, electronics, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, take more time to research and review to find the right thing rather than um, perhaps investing in that during that particular time from January 21st to February 11th. Um, and, you know, and part of it is also it's a time for upgrading rather than something new. Um, Mercury retrogrades tend to be more internal because of the re. So there's a sense that it's also a particularly good time to say, how or what do I need to do to upgrade myself? rather than trying to change the world and fix and upgrade everyone around me. Um, so mid-February is going to kick in a, a rather fiery spring, <laughs> if you will, um, and that'll go through the end of March, so from mid-February through the end of March. Um, we'll probably find that our uh, desire nature, our um Impulse control tends to be a bit less under control. <laughs> um, so you want to be careful about acting too spontaneously or too impulsively. Um, there's also, it's going to kind of spark some of that innovation, which is good, but it'll also kind of stimulate a, more willfulness than perhaps is um, uh, healthy or productive. So, and the key here is to think, okay, if that's going on in a general sense, I have to make sure I watch that within myself. We can't control other people, but we can make sure that we are not letting that affect us in a negative way or that we're not acting on that in a way. Um, things can get out of control very quickly. They can kind of catch fire and start to burn uh, things down. <laughs> um, rather, So we can burn out very easily or very quickly. We could do more damage than was intended very easily or very quickly. Um, and so it's it's much better to pay attention to the impulse, but sit with that impulse and find a way to maintain the energy of that impulse over the long term rather than giving into it in the moment and finding it was too much, it was too soon, it was um, too quick, whatever. Um, and you can also use that period of time from mid-February through the end of March to think about what is it that brings me to a boil? What is it that really gets my fire going? Um, sometimes it could be things that we're really upset about, but that's going to go back to how do I want to take healthy action or be a part of a solution regarding that? Um, other things, it may just be something we're really excited about, passionate about, driven about. And again, it's not about going out and going at 150 miles an hour towards it. It's saying, okay, how do I go after that, but in a way that is sustainable over the long term in order to maximize the potential for achieving the goal or arriving at the, the reward or the end destination of that. Um, we probably will see, especially February and March, we'll probably see um, things that have been simmering, tensions that we thought had been calming down. We probably will see things get sparked again. We'll probably see some uprisings, some um, revolutions, uh, either new ones or things that had been there that had kind of calmed down a bit that will probably get sparked and kind of rage again. That'll probably really kick in towards mid-March. Um, so one, we want to kind of watch that, be careful of that on the, the bigger scale, but also within ourselves, we want to watch how the 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 need for rebellion, the need to revolt, the need to, you know, overthrow, 
um, really kind of rages within us and be very, very careful about controlling that energy because, again, it will get out of control very easily and you'll end up doing way more damage than you will good and a lot more pieces to pick up than to just reassemble. Um, and so then we move into March. March 11th um, is... So March 11th, March 17th especially, are both key days for potentially very explosive energy. Um, March 11th is probably when we're going to see rebellion and feel rebellious. We just want to act out against the things that are trying to put us in a box or limit us too much or we just don't feel are right. March 11th can be very dangerous because of, so we have Mars conjunct the Uranus square Pluto um, alignment. So it's, it can be a dangerous day because it's like, you know, tempers will flare. People will be kind of emotionally out of control. Um, it's the kind of day where, you know, you look at somebody wrong sitting next to you in, in the car and suddenly they pull out a gun and shoot at you. Um, so, People are also going to be willing to take extremely unnecessary and beyond the the, the limit kind of risks um, and behavior. So, you know, one, be cautious and careful about that. Two, watch that tendency within yourself to want to take unnecessary risks or go way beyond the limit in terms of the kind of um, risk that you're you're thinking would be perfectly okay to take for some reason. Um, so that's March 11th, and then March 17th is the the kind of the end because the last exact square moment of the Pluto Uranus Pluto Uranus square. Um, and the nice thing about that is that it can be a really great time for a sense of spiritual power. Uh, so you can really um, funnel your your spiritual power into something, into yourself, into the way you walk in the world, into something you're creating, and really imbue it with something that is um, profound and amazing and touching. Um, it can also be used for slightly less savory um, power plays. Uh, also, March 17th, people are, around that time are likely to be very, very susceptible and influenced by propaganda, by symbols and that kind of thing. So one, watch for that because you may see kind of an uptick of propagandist type of uh, messages and imagery of of speeches and, and images being put out that are meant to really rile people up and just kind of appeal to their lowest nature. Um, so we don't want to get caught up in that. And we want to make sure that we have a, a good variety of perspective and information so that we can think critically and assess things and see things for what they are um, rather than getting easily set off by something because we just are immediately emotionally triggered by what it is that's being put towards us. So that's March 17th. So really kind of that mid-March and, and, and late March period is going to be kind of key for that. Um, on March 20th, we have a solar eclipse in Pisces. Um, this is especially uh, going to affect any of the cardinal signs, <clears throat> which include Aries, Cancer, Libra, and Capricorn. Um, they may feel particularly 
hit by what's going on around that time. Fortunately, it's kind of the last big hit, um, which is related to that uh, Pluto-Uranus square aspect as well. Um, and it, it's at the, the that, that eclipse on March 20th, it's when, in a general sense, we start to feel as if we're finally seeing the end of the tunnel, that we're finally starting to come out of the tunnel and into the light so that we can start seeing what is seeing how things have shaken out and start looking forward and planning for the future and taking steps towards progress rather than feeling lost in the dark um, or not knowing what side things are going to come from next. So we just kind of kind of hang in there through the end of March. And then after March, we're going to start to feel as if we can really start to breathe again. Um, it's also possible that that uh, end of March, that eclipse period is going to also be really key for major breakthroughs. We may suddenly have a sense of understanding why things have been the way they are, why they've been changing, why they have been happening. Um, we may start to feel as if what we can start to do with that. Um, so it's also a, a possibility for a time of, of significant breakthrough. Um, and breakthrough isn't always easy or painless. It's like if you're going to break through a wall, you may still come out with, you know, bloody knuckles or something because you had to really push through it. But once it's done, it's done. And then we're through and we get to move forward. And that's kind of the feeling we're going to have as we kind of move into the end of March and into April and beyond. So then we move into April, May, June. And April 4th, we have a lunar eclipse in Libra. And um, this could be, uh, there, there could be a bit of sorrow around this particular eclipse because of some of the different things that are going on astrologically for that. So, you know, during that time, um, be mindful of people who are going through difficult life transitions of some sort. Um, there may be people, I don't want to call that Aries in particular, but there you are, um, who may tend to put a brave face on it and not want to show um, what they're feeling or how upset they are, or how difficult of a time they're having it. So if we can be more conscientious about that, be more aware of that, um, be willing to be more, uh, to tend more towards offering and reaching out to offer support and help. Um, and also, if you are going through something like that, it's a particularly don't let that be a period where you think you have to just suffer in silence and solitude. Reach out for help and support yourself when you need it, um, rather than locking yourself away. That will be the tendency around that time, April 4th, but it doesn't have to be that way if we choose not to do that. April 20th through the 26th is going to be particularly good for Earth signs. Uh, Earth signs are Taurus, Virgo, and Capricorn. Um, it's also good for everyone else as well. It's just in particular, it may be a bit more um, uh, good of a time for the Earth signs because of a, a grand Earth trine uh, at that time. Uh, and it's that trine is going to make things, it's going to make us more sensual, a bit more sensory oriented. Um, people may feel a bit more physically amorous. We may feel that we want to really experience things through the senses. Um, we want to touch it. We want to smell it, you know, and our senses may be heightened. We may find that things we would normally smell 
suddenly have another aspect to it or we constantly want fabrics and things around us that are just like velvety and soft we just want to touch it it's like we can't help but rub our hands on it that's going to kind of really be increased uh, if you want to be touched wear fabrics like that wear smells that really get, draw people in during, around that time of April 20th to the 26th because you can appeal to the senses and you'll find that people are really responding to sensory input around that time um and then early May, we have uh, Venus and Mars that are going to enter into Taurus. And that's going to, uh, what it does, it's kind of like cultivating soil that is extremely rich in nutrients and is extremely fertile. So seeds that we plant during that time are likely to take root very easily. Uh, and, you know, whether that's to have a baby, whether that's for a new job, whether that's for a goal, whether that's whatever it is that we want to plant a seed for, um, it's it's going to take root if we plant it during that time. So we really want to make sure that we sow with consciousness, that we are very clear on what it is that we want to see um, grow and, and come to fruition in our lives, um, especially around that time, and that's early May, the early part of May. Um, May 18th through June 11th, we have our next Mercury retrograde, which is in Gemini. And this is going to be a Mercury retrograde period where we want to really pay attention to um, not letting our tendency get out of control for being possessive or territorial. Um, especially things that are familiar, interestingly, during that time. Um, so, so don't be too possessive. You may see um, possessiveness, jealousy, insecurity, that kind of thing really rear its ugly head um, a bit more easily during that time. Again, May 18th to June 11th. Um, it's also a really good time to be paying attention to what security means for you and how you can find a deeper sense of security within yourself, um, feeling more deeply secure, grounded, centered, not necessarily needing outside things to be a certain way to feel secure versus it coming from within yourself. Um, and you may also find that that particular period from May 18th to June 11th, we're more drawn to the past where we want to tap into our personal history. We may find we suddenly want to trace our genealogical roots. Um, we may find that we want to uh, return to some old traditions, um, whether it's things that we've done in the past or things that go way back to ancient traditions, but we may feel more of a, a call, a pull. And we may also find that those kinds of things tend to be more powerful during that time. So if you tend towards doing rituals or working with um, old traditions, um, really doing some work around that or, or within those traditions around that time, you may find some um, deeper, more powerful uh, impact and effects coming about um, by doing it in that particular Mercury retrograde, uh, May 18th to June 11th. Um, then the summer begins with June. And in June, uh, well, not in June itself, but just as the summer begins, well, I guess you could say June, that's fine. <laughs> well, let's, let's say June, shall we? Um, and it's going to, Saturn is going to go retrograde uh, back into Scorpio. It left Scorpio at the end of November and went into Sagittarius. It's going to go back into Scorpio for just a little bit. And that's going to cause us to feel as if we need to do a bit of a review of our work over the last few years. Um, really, we're doing that to look back because we're preparing to move forward. So it's kind of that, it's like rereading the and that that 
email one last time before you send it kind of thing. Um, so it, it's, it's moving us towards wanting to take our work deeper um, mm. so that we are able to finally take out the trash and uh, put behind us once and for all old memories, um, uh, old wounds, things that we have been working through to finally say, it's now buried and done. Um, we may have a bit of unfinished business that has been unsettled that comes back up around that time. Maybe we didn't realize it was unsettled, um, but it may come back up around that time, and that's our opportunity to really close those chapters, to really bring finality and conclusion and closure to those things so that they don't come up again um, and they are once and for all done. Um, and then on June 24th, when Mars enters Cancer, um, that's where we may find we want to bring we want to bring our attention and focus back to more intimate places um, and that we want to perhaps hone our defenses, but things may feel more personal. We also want to make things that we do and the way we interact in the world more personal so that we feel more personally satisfied by it as well as we feel we have more of a personal connection to what it is that we're doing, the conversations that we're having, the relationships that we have. Moving into July through September, um, July is great for romance, especially the early part of July. Um, we've got Venus in Leo conjunct Jupiter. Don't worry about all that part. Uh, and um, especially July 1st, 2nd, and 3rd is going to be particularly strong for um, love and relationship. It's a great time to plan a wedding. Um, not only do we have Venus conjunct Jupiter, we also have a full moon in Capricorn on July 2nd. So it's a great time for seeing relationships um, move to another level, uh, make a deeper commitment. Um, if you're looking for a relationship, it's a great time to plan to really, like I was saying earlier, put yourself out into the spotlight, be out there in places and opportunities where you have a chance to meet and connect with people, because you will find that connections made during July 1st, 2nd, and 3rd especially are going to be deeply infused with an energy to really take that relationship to uh, a far-flung place. Um, and whether it's love relationship or personal relationship, friends, work, etc., you know, any of that um, is uh, any of those kinds of relationships. So it's up to you as to what kind of relationships you feel you need to be cultivating or progressing or moving to another level around that time. But that's a key time to do it, July 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. Um, the early part of July uh, also is a really good time where people are going to be willing to um, let go of old issues, anger, uh, that kind of thing. So it's a great time for reconciliation. It's a great time for doing some work around forgiveness. It's a great time for um, confronting, and I use that word lightly, um, issues and, and situations where there has been um, anger, uh, upset, um, disharmony, uh, because the openness and willingness of people to repair those things and to put that behind them is going to be very strong during the first week of July. So you can really use that time for that as well. Um, I would say that any if there are particular commitments, whether it's a wedding or something else, anything that's going to be formalized that has something to do with some sort of a relationship, business relationship, personal relationship, um, anything that's going to be kind of finalized, committed to, taken to the next level, you kind of want to do that before July 25th because Venus will go retrograde um, through the middle of August. 
so it's that's not the best time, <laughs> let us say, to um, try to finalize things when Venus is in retrograde. So you want to do that before July 25th or just wait until latter part of August and beyond when Venus is out of retrograde uh, in order to do that. Um, I will say when Venus is retrograde, and especially around August 6th, um, that's a good time for uh, rekindling an old relationship, um, reigniting a flame, revisiting uh, a previous relationship of some sort. So you can use it for that kind of thing. I wouldn't necessarily start a new relationship during Venus retrograde, nor would I necessarily finalize a relationship or formalize a relationship. I wouldn't get married or move in or that kind of thing during a Venus retrograde. But if there's an opportunity to revisit, rekindle um, uh, an old relationship of some sort, that's a good time to do it during Venus retrograde. Or you might find that an old relationship suddenly appears during that time. Um, so pay attention to that. That specifically is around August 6th. Um, but in general, it would go from July 25th through um, middle part of August um, Let's see, I, just so you actually know, I will tell you that, uh, uh, oh, sorry, through September 6th. So July 25th through September 6th is Venus retrograde. So um, just pay attention to that time for more either old relationships and things pop, coming into the picture or uh, not necessarily finalizing or committing to uh, or formalizing relationships just during that particular time period. Um, and also August 8th, um, we have something that's called a cradle aspect. And that's going to be formed with Capricorn and Cancer and Libra. And, you know, this is something where you really want to look in your chart because where that cradle falls in your chart can show you where you may be clinging on to things for dear life. It's it's things that we feel we have to have that we can't let go of that we're so afraid of releasing. Um, you know, now that isn't necessarily a bad thing because if we're holding on to something that grounds us and really helps us feel anchored, then you know that is something that can be very useful and very beneficial. But a lot of times we're holding on to things that don't necessarily need to be held on to any longer. So it would be a great time around August 8th to do some reading, studying, work regarding the Buddhist idea of non-attachment, of grasping. Um, that would be a really good time <laughs> for that. Uh, you know, you can look at your chart. Like for example, if, if the cradle falls more towards the, the right side of the chart, then you may tend to cling on to relationships. If it tends to be more weighted towards the 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 um, north side of the chart, then you tend to cling on to career, meaning maybe you hold on to a career because it defines you, and, and even though you're not happy in it, it's like, yeah, but this is what I do, and this is all I know, and who would I be if I didn't do this thing? Or the world knows me this way, and they would accept me another way. So it really is important to be able to look at your chart for that. But just in a general sense, around August 8th, we're going to have issues coming up around what do we tend to be holding on to, clinging to for dear life, strangling the life out of, because we think that we can't be who we are or we can't be happy or whatever without it. Um, it's a really good time also for asking what is it that is needing to be 
birthed or brought into being in myself or in my life around that time. And the clinging part means something is trying to come into being, but we're taking up space by holding on to something else. And we need to release that to open the space in order for the new thing to be able to really have the chance to come into form. Um, this is also because of the planets that are involved there around August 8th. It's also a really great time for doing um, practical magic kind of things, working with herbs, crystals, um, sacred sex, if you do that kind of work. It's also a really great opportunity for uh, being able to create powerful intentions and seeing them really kind of grow into uh, manifestation. Um, and, and don't be afraid to experiment during that time. It's a good time for experimenting with bringing about your, your desires. Um, it's also a great time for experimenting with healing for other, you know, healing for others. So if you've thought about doing things like say, well, if you thought about going to medical school, if you thought about doing things like Reiki, whatever it is that would somehow help others in their healing process, August 8th is a really good time for experimenting with that. You know, take a Reiki class during that time. Um, try something out. See what it does. See how it helps. It's like if I've always been making this herbal uh, tincture for myself and it really helps, let me see what it does for somebody else because you may find really good results from doing that. Um, and around that time, as well as we head into the fall, um, Uranus is finally starting to move away from Pluto. It's that you know, Uranus-Pluto square that we've been in for the past couple of years. And so finally, they're starting to pull away or, or move away from each other. Um, so it may mean that the work that we need to do is already in front of us. It's not about finding new things. It's more about now we see what needs to be done and it's time to start to get to the task of actually doing it. So we're not trying to create brand new agendas or find new work to do. We already seem to have a sense of that or have established that now it's time to really get down to work to doing it. Because as, as Uranus and Pluto start to move away from each other, we're going to find it easier and we're going to find it that we're um, more likely to make progress by actually engaging in the work that we're doing rather than feeling as if it goes nowhere or we seem to go. You're, the the Pluto-Uranus square has basically been a feeling of two steps forward, three steps back. As they move away from each other, it's finally going to feel as if I can take one step. Let me see how that goes. Oh, okay, it went okay. Now I can take the next step. How'd that go? Oh, oh, it's okay. Now I can take the next step. So we start to feel as if we can make progress. So we really start to get down to business, focus on the work that we've identified is right, is necessary, is, is that it's time to be doing. And this is as we move into the fall. Um, and, and you'll find that not so much about big pushes, however, um, a more kind of steady approach, um, you know, one step at a time approach rather than one big push is going to be uh, probably more productive and, and uh, more successful um, than trying to do a big push all at once. Um, and and we especially want to use the, the fall to start um, solidifying, I guess you could say, um, new habits and, and new things. So like when we were talking about daily practice earlier, if you wanted to really start to feel as if that was taking hold, um, start it now. You probably will feel as if you're really uh, rooted in it and it really seems to be something that you are committed to and that you're able to do successfully on a daily basis. 
um, by the fall. If you haven't started by then, starting around that time, uh, end of August into September, is a really good time uh, to be doing that because you'll find that what you start to do then will start to really take hold and and, and uh, stay firm for the long term. Uh, September also we have a focus on uh, more on service. Um, and uh, I will say that September is a particular time to be paying attention to and taking care of health issues, especially anything that has to do with um, the blood, uh, with things like a detox, a cleanse, um, filtering things out, uh, anything um, that has to do with uh, clear, clearing the flow and cleaning what it is that is flowing through the system is going to be particularly highlighted and important during the September time frame. Uh, September 12th, we have a, Vir a solar eclipse in Virgo, and that is a great time for doing some of that practical magic, again, with like crystals, herbs, all of that kind of thing, but uh, setting the intentions and, and candle magic and all of that, doing any of that kind of practical magic, that uh, solar eclipse in Virgo on September 12th is an extremely powerful time to be doing that. Um, September 17th through October 9th will be our next Mercury retrograde, and that is also when we will see Pluto finally going direct uh, on September 25th. Um, this is going to kind of shake loose any of the final uh, issues and things in, in our deeper places that needs to be dealt with, healed, gotten rid of, that kind of thing. So it's it's kind of like the final hard scrub that brings the, the last remaining things up to the surface for us to finally see and deal with. Um, doing that, what we'll find, especially after Pluto has gone direct, we will find that we will... Uh, um, feel as if we have made progress and we will start to see progress happening um, more readily and more obviously. Uh, so um, after so the 25th, especially as we move out of the Mercury retrograde, so after October 9th. Um, it also is a really great time for those cardinal signs uh, to kind of look back at the past couple of years and deal with any leftover little bits that haven't been um, dealt with or brought to closure since the Cardinal Grand Cross of April 2014. So if you look back to April of 2014, issues that were going on around that time, there may still be some remnants of the, those issues that need to be finally dealt with and brought to completion. And that's a really good time from September 17th to October 9th. That's a really good time for um, reviewing that, seeing where those issues are and if there's still any kind of loose ends to make sure that we're dealing with those and getting those taken care of around that time. That's what would prevent us from being able to see um, more obvious and easier progress as we move out of that Mercury retrograde. Uh, September 27th is a total lunar eclipse in Aries. And this can be a bit of an explosive time as well. So you want to be really careful around the end of September. Um, you know, things for this lunar eclipse are, uh, there is an aspect of feeling pioneering, like I want to go out and conquer new lands and, you know, um, uncharted territory, but it also can, people can tend to be a bit reckless, uh, a bit headstrong. Uh, we may also find a lot more um, 
upswells of temper, um, fights and things that will kind of get out of control very easily. Um, so you want to be careful around that September 27th in particular, end of September uh, time frame. may also see on a more collective global scale that things are a bit more turbulent around that time because um, it, it, it's going to create a sense of uh, intense projection. People are going to tend to throw everything they don't like about themselves or their lives or the way the world is for them, and they're going to throw it out onto everything else and see it everywhere around them and blame everything around them and then want to take it out on everything around them. So, one, we want to make sure that we are not doing that ourselves. We want to watch when we're tending towards that around that time especially. And two, be prepared that that's how people will be. So you might want to make sure that you don't take things too personally. You might want to try to particularly stay out of the line of fire during that end of September time frame. And um, be very careful about what you assume is true because you might find out that what seems right seems true, what somebody is telling us or how something is being presented. Um, we're likely to find out that it may actually be quite the opposite. Uh, so don't make any final assumptions or judgments about something. Don't take any uh, presentation or word of something as the truth um, and, and operate from that. Wait a little bit because you're going to find that other facets or information comes out that may show that to be very different. And so you want to make sure you're not locked into something based on something that is not true or right. And then moving into the last part of the year, October through December, um, October and November in particular, there's more of a focus on social justice. Um, there's more of a focus on uh, improving relationships, making them more um, equal. Uh, rather, So really pay attention to where there seems to be inequality in relationships. And whether that's personal relationships that we're in, whether that's um, the relationship of government to citizen, of um, uh, police to the people they serve, whatever it is, October, November, we really want to make sure that we're saying, okay, here's where there is an imbalance, here's where things are not equal, and this is what we need to do to improve that situation in order to bring about a greater sense of justice, a greater sense of fairness, a greater sense of equality. Um, there's a whole sense around October, November that um, new groups, new communities are starting to really come together and are really starting to, to coalesce. Um, and so we really want to make sure that despite the complications of that, um, because of, that we're working towards what do we need to do to make sure that these new relationships, new communities, new groups are able to really work um, for the long term, that they're really able to come together and accomplish something rather than quickly disband because nobody can come to any sort of consensus, which goes back to that idea of everyone feeling as if it's an egalitarian kind of approach or community or group um, rather than one person in charge and everybody just does what they say. Uh, November 11th, we have a new moon and we have a yod, um, which is a particular configuration, and it's in Libra. And so this can be a particularly key moment for things um, like uh, good fortune. Uh, it can make, um, there, there may be some difficult transitions or changes that have to be made, but doing those is actually going to prove extremely beneficial in the long term. So don't shy away from those, perhaps be willing to implement those around that time of November 11th. 
Um, it also is a time for the the mind being very active. It's a great time for organizing things. Um, we may also find that we are able to uh, get things done and that there's greater benefit in the group. Uh, in uh, We may find that new or, or friends who have a bit of influence are able to really help us during that time or move things forward for us in that time. Um, so November 11th, around that new moon, the yod actually goes for a week. Um, and uh, right around that time of November 11th. So that's a really, really good time for focusing on those kind of things. It's a great time for activating new things, setting new things in motion. Um, we're also likely to see um, g- uh, gains really happening around that time. Um, it could, for example, November 11th and, and the week of November 11th could be a time when we see a uh, some sort of kind of a big rally in the stock market, for example. Um, and then, you know, towards the end of the year, we do get a bit of a, 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 a test, let us say, some things that will test us just a bit. Um, November 29th, um, we have Saturn square Neptune. And this is as well as... Um, uh, this is really going to push us <laughs> to be willing to both see and take the necessary action that is required because it means we, we really need to work hard in order to give structure to our desires, our intentions, our dreams, our goals. So November 29th, the end of November is a really good time for saying what structure, what organization, what do I need to do to make sure that the, the pieces are in place to support and stabilize and, and bring into reality my goals, my intentions, my dreams, my ambitions. It's, it's key to do that work around that time. Um, it's also about uh, giving a reality check to something. You know, so it says, okay, I can have this dream. However, one, is that a reality check? It's like, is that even possible? Doesn't mean we have to give up on the dream. Maybe just understand what part of that dream is actually possible. Two, maybe a reality check says, maybe that's not going to happen overnight. But if I put these things in place, it creates a foundation and creates a structure for it to actually come into being over time. Um, And then December 7th through December 11th, um, we, we... it's, we kind of are looking back. There was something called a Cardinal Grand Cross. Again, this was in April of 2014. And we get a bit of a flashback once again to it, um, December 7th through the 11th. Plus, Mars is going to oppose Uranus during that time. So here are some key words for December 7th through the 11th. And a bit before and a bit after as well, but the key time is the 7th to the 11th. Um, Risk takers, adrenaline junkies, um, you know, fireworks, explosions, emergencies, uh, uh, flashes. Um, So it can be a time when there may be some amazing flashes of insight when people are really fired up about things so we could really uh, motivate them uh, towards things. But it also can be a tendency towards people to... Um, do things for the thrill of it, oftentimes not necessarily the right things or the best things, and sometimes they end up having collateral damage in terms of affecting or or injuring others around them just because they wanted the rush um, or themselves. Um, People are willing to take risks during that time. We just want to make sure we're not taking unnecessary risks. Um, Things can be a bit explosive or kind of get set off very easily, so we want to really kind of watch how we go into it. 
so that's kind of an overview of the year. I, March through, uh, sorry, January through March is a particularly kind of turbulent roller coaster period. Um, the latter part of the year, towards the end of April and December, we may have a bit of a energized kind of dynamic period as well. April through September in particular is going to be a bit more calm where we have a chance to catch our breath, start to really put some things in place and make some progress on things. Uh, but we're coming out of that, that tunnel of the Pluto Uranus square after March. So in a general sense, we're going to start to feel as the year progresses that we're able to make progress more easily we're able to make sense of things more readily and that we're able to feel as if we're actually moving forward in our lives rather than stuck in place and just trying to brace and protect ourselves from the next impact. So hopefully that overview gives you a, a general sense of the the fluctuating energies of the year, um, gives you a little sense of what to plan for, maybe how to plan and some particularly key dates as to when to plan for things, perhaps stay away from some things, do things or not do things. Um, and uh, I hope that that helps a little bit in your yearly overview and planning. Uh, and of course, you can always listen back to this in the archives. It's always there either on, here on Blog Talk Radio uh, or on iTunes. Just do a quick search for Firefly Willows Live. You can always listen back to this show anytime. Um, if you missed some of that or want to wait and revisit some of that later in the year or um, whatever it is you would like to do with that. So my thanks for listening and my thanks for your indulgence uh, with the first segment of the show um, even though it was in French, hopefully the emotion of it and the, the purpose of it you were able to feel. Um, and I want to thank you for listening and welcome to a, a new year of Revolution with High C and Firefly Willows Live. And I will look forward to having you join me here again next month and beyond every second Sunday of the month. Thank you for joining us. Revolution with host Heisey Lutmers, brought to you by Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Find out more at facebook.com slash revolution with Heisey. Please join us next time on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E for Amethyst Oracle, Divination with a Queer Twist with Heisey Lutmers and Charlie Harrington, Tuesday evening at 8 p.m. Mm-hmm.